Welcome to the Breakpoint Recap Show. This is episode three, California Dreaming. I'm Gil Gross. I'm with Alex Gruskin. Uh, if you are new to this show, we break down every single episode of the Netflix docuseries Breakpoint, and uh, we have been enjoying it thus far. Uh, California Dreaming, Fritz, Sakari, Indian Wells. Uh, but Gruskin, let's start off. Um, let me allow you to. Uh, Respond to potentially any YouTube comments. Did you did you get a chance to go through the comments of the last one, or did you miss that because we're now in our Australian Open craze? No, I am very much egotistical. Of course, I'm looking through the comments each and every time to see what the response is to our episodes because that's how I craft my response on the next episode for all of you listeners. Again, you all are far too kind to myself and Gil. I will disagree with the sentiment. Well, I'm not going to disagree but I'm going to explain where you might be wrong. Some have inferred that we are more entertaining than this Breakpoint show itself. <laughs> Here's what I would respond to that. A, duh. I mean, look at our brows. Come on. This is superior programming here as it relates to tennis. B, I would say give this show a chance. Let it grow on you. And I really do think it will help for context if you don't understand the mission of what these producers are trying to display through this series go watch the drive to survive f1 show because i do think as these episodes have progressed a it helps that in episodes two and three they focused on one more than one person but b this would be my response to the sentiment in general i think the show is finding its stride i think each of these episodes have been an improvement upon one another and i am fascinated to see where this series goes from here episode three to me was the purest tennis episode that we yes. got yet, right? So Nick Kyrgios in episode one, you know, doubles with Tanasi Australian Open. It was kind of like Kyrgios brings something unto himself that is unique and different. Uh, and honestly, it's literally just kind of one of one. Uh, then with Berrettini and Tamjanovic, not that it wasn't about the tennis, but you you had a, a love story that was really at the center of what that was. Uh, <laughs> and for this one, there is none of that. There's no curios. There's no love. There is just Fritz, Sakari, and their respective runs at Indian Wells. Do, do you feel me on that? Yeah, no, absolutely. I thought it was very well done. I was a little frustrated at first that they didn't show enough tennis, and then they showed so much of the tennis that transpired in the finals for Sakari and Fritz. I love the behind-the-scenes nature of what conversations are you having after a win, after a loss, and we'll get into some of the granular things that I loved specifically, but we followed the player through their journey, the highs of the wins, the stresses of the losses, the varying factors that go into determining what you're going, if you're going to play, how you're going to play in any given moment. Again, it feels like the players sort of understood the mission a little bit better and what they were supposed to convey in this episode as well. And it was a very tennis centric show. It's easy to put on a performance of what you know best. And for these players, it's preparing for events. I do think, again, California dreaming it has me dreaming. This show's got a bright future. <laughs> so the show opens and it introduces Indian Wells and Grusky. All I could think about was, oh, they're they're trying to do the Monaco thing. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're, they're trying to make Indian Wells Monaco. Like 
the way it was kind of introed and all the players were like, all of the wealthy people are here. Uh, they, they kind of build up Indian Wells as, I mean, Roddick said it, I'm pretty sure Roddick, I can check my notes. He said it's the best tournament of the mm -hmm. year. Um, what did you think of that framing of Indian Wells? Well, I'm glad you brought the money and the wealth point as well, because Felix saying that quote was striking to me, that that is something even players notice as they attend this event. And, you know, figuratively for casual tennis fans who may not be aware of this, Indian Wells is referred to colloquially as the fifth slam. It is a highlighted event on the tennis calendar. And it was fascinating to hear Roddick talk about the draws and sort of point out how the draws at this event might be stronger player for player than any other event you have throughout the course of the season. They were high on Indian Wells. There's no denying that fact. They were trying to convey that this event matters as much as an Australian open, as much as any other event we might highlight through this series. Was it hyperbole to some extent? Do players rave about Indian Wells when you speak to them about it? Absolutely. There is not a single player who will give you a negative review of their experience playing that event. And guess what? Helps to have California sunshine, to have the mountains in the background, to have the wealth, apparently, the celebrities. I don't know. I will have to figure out what the what qualifies as celebrity. Um, but yeah, it, they definitely sold it at the start. It was another first compelling three minutes. I would say this is the worst compelling three minutes of the first three episodes, but I was still compelled. Yeah, yeah, I would I would say that. I mean, the desert is beautiful, so yeah. you knew coming in they were going to take advantage of of the you know how this is a stupid thing but when we're broadcasting for t2 which gil and i both have the privilege to do sometimes our producer will say all right we're going to a scenic shot which means they're going to show the backgrounds of whatever the event is the host city that the event's being played and all i could think is god the scenic shot for indian wells they probably throw to it like every third game <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh and and the thing about the the wealth is that the players have like tons of obligations usually before Indian Wells with sponsors and such. It is kind of a corporate gathering of tennis, which uh, it, it speaks to, since that's probably pretty annoying, it speaks to everything else and how great it must be that the players still like it. Um, the other takeaway that I had here, and I, I thought this was the strength of the episode, was learning about and highlighting the teams, the people around uh, the people. I mean, we talked a little bit about this with Nick and the role of horse and yeah. with Berrettini and Tomjanovic a little bit less so, but this was a case where I thought the Tom Hill relationship, uh, the relationship between Tom Hill and Sakari really stood out. And then with Fritz, you had his father guy, who was kind of a thread that started in the beginning and then they tied back to it at the end. Uh, then you had Paul Anacone, who uh, was a, a huge part of this. And I feel like there's a larger point to be made within tennis. Um, more and more, they are making the coaches a part of this. They have legalized coaching uh, for, for another year, 2023. If they are going to be part of it, a part of the game, then I've been under the impression that we need to learn more about them, that we need to bring them in in a much more hands-on and focused way. This doc is doing that. I really like that. Yeah. Uh, so 
quick tangent to that point. Someone who would be in my corner, part of my team, is my lovely mother. And I happened to be home in Michigan this weekend visiting my parents. She was giving me stellar reviews. She loves you, Gil, uh, on this show thus far. And it was funny because we were having this same conversation and she brings up, you know, I go, oh, you liked horse. And she goes, oh, my God, I love horse. Alex, you could be someone's horse. And then I go <laughs> to which I respond, wait. You're telling me I can't be the player? I was like, am I now officially at the age where you, even my mother, who has never given up on me on anything, she's like, yeah, you're probably not going to be the pro player anymore. Like, at best, you could be the horse. I was like, this is kind of a devastating moment, a realization. But yeah, the realization I'm coming to is how significant these relationships are. And, you know, for years, you and I have clamored as part of tennis media for more access to hearing the communication between coach and player. And we'll get into it as we talk about some specific quotes from this episode to hear the interactions between not only Sakari and Hill throughout the course of a match, but to hear Anna Cohn and Michael Russell. And I forget whom the third coach is in that Taylor Fritz box, but to see all of them lobbying so vehemently against Fritz playing the Indian Wells finals, like that's what I want to see. That is in-depth looks of, okay, you want to know the mechanics? Well, here's the doctor saying, do I think I should prescribe you painkillers? Probably not. But Taylor being like, look, if I don't play this match, I will never forgive myself. And that is a sentiment I think every human can relate to. Everyone's had a moment in their life where it was going to be uncomfortable, but if they didn't do it, they would just be furious at themselves. And either you chose to do that thing or you chose not to. Maybe you've had multiple instances where you've gone either way. It was very clear what Taylor Fritz wanted to make from a choice perspective and to see the people most valued to him try to lobby him against it and just how that dynamic works. You're absolutely right. Like it just brings into the realm of reality what these what the thought process looks like. This was the highlight of the series. So let's not bury the lead. I know for some of these, we've gone more chronologically. And this was towards the end, of course, uh, Fritz preparing to play the Indian Wells final against Rafael Nadal. That sequence, obviously, they had a camera on Taylor as soon as he hurt his ankle. Uh, but that this was a, this was an example of something that I knew what happened. I knew that Taylor Fritz was told by all of his coaches not to play that final, that he denied them and he went out and play it. That was information in my brain. I got it. Guess what? That didn't take anything away from how hard that footage hit uh, to actually witness that and just how intense it was with the the imagery of taylor walking the grounds he has four of his guys behind him arguing that he should not play anacone basically says dude you're you're an idiot like you're gonna go out there and his logic was sound he said you're gonna go out there against rafa nadal in this wind at 60 percent, based on what i just saw from you at the on the practice court 60 percent you are going to lose, make the injury worse, miss the next two months of your season. Like, how the hell do you think that's a good idea? And to see that, and Taylor's just like, look, I hear you, but nah. No, he's like, look, I'm going to fucking play. Like, I'm pretty <laughs> sure at one point that's what he says. He's like, look, I have to, and again, I apologize for swearing twice consecutively, but he's like, I have to fucking play. I do. He's like, I have to do this. Like, if you're telling me I even have a shot and he, and he at one point he's saying, look, I get it. And if I don't think I can play, I'll pull the ripcord and we'll stop the match, whatever it is. But and it's funny because Anna Cohn says that and he's like, 
do you really in front of 15,000 people? And he's like, versus not going out there at all and not giving them anything. And you can completely understand Fritz's perspective. Now, I do think, again, for casual athletics fans, it's always worth noting tall people, foot injuries. It's never bode well in the history of any sport ever, because, again, you need your feet to move and tall people just seem to have an issue with uh, foot uh, foot problems throughout the course of their careers. That said, again, to just see the the stubbornness for Fritz, and you bring up Paul Anacone, who talked about how that stubbornness might be his best asset, but also his biggest weakness, that determination to be the best version of himself and hold himself to the highest standards. You even saw in the post-match talks when post-Rublev, when he's criticizing himself, and Anacone's like, that is not a winning mindset. And by the way, to see the candidness of the conversations there, and mm. Anacone's even saying, you told me to tell you this when I think you're not saying having a winning mindset, and this is a losing mindset. And to Fritz to kind of be like, you could see on Fritz's face, the realization of him saying, thank you for telling me that. Like, that is why I brought you here to tell me these hard truths. Like, that theme, that ethos was persistent throughout the course of this episode. You got to see the hard conversations. Right. And and Anacone holds so much weight. Right. And you could see that respect. I, look, when, no, when wait, coached... can I ask you a question off of that? Sure. First of all, yeah, if you don't mind telling the credentials of Paul Anacone, but also was that manufactured or do you think that's real? Like, did we just get Anacone at his absolute most gravitas filled moments where it's like, look, injury, my word is law because I've been in this game for 30 years and I've seen every injury in the book, like criticizing your mindset. In this moment, my word is law. Because if you know Taylor Fritz intimately, you know Michael Russell's the day-to-day coach, not Paul Anacone. And to see the gravitas of the Anacone statements, like you're right to point that out because it felt significant. Yeah, I mean, the gravitas comes from what he's done in this sport as a coach. Uh, Yeah, so Pete Sampras, Roger Federer. um, They're okay. Yeah. I mean, he okay. he was entrusted, and and I think with Pete, it was a an even bigger deal than Roger. Because Roger, uh, Roger loved him. They they had a, a a good run, but Roger was already great when when Paul uh, came aboard. I I think the the Pete thing was probably even even more telling of kind of what Anacone can bring. But it doesn't matter. Like when you when you have those creds, and I know Paul. Paul is not Apostolos an Apostolos Sitsipas in terms of. Uh, words per minute like he will pick his spots but when he speaks to you uh he is going to kind of make sure that he's making it count he's not going to give you a crap ton of information and he is in that uh consultory is that a word yeah he is in the consultory role with taylor fritz as you uh, correctly point out. And by the way, Michael Russell, it's kind of funny. He kind of gets the cold shoulder in this episode. But I think the concept of, behind this is uh, they need to simplify, right? So like sure. uh, also uh, uh, t- Taylor's mom, May, sat, sat, what was her name again? I'm, May? Uh, Kathy May. Kathy May. Kathy May. Yeah. Um, she also isn't mentioned. It's it's just Guy Fritz, right? So it seems like they were like, look, we need to just simplify this for the viewer. We can't introduce everybody. Let's go with Anacone. Let's go with Guy, his father, uh, and Morgan Riddle we haven't talked about yet. Yeah, uh, well, it's so fascinating because you talk about the Fritz background, and this relates to Sakari as well. But by the way, quick note 
Anacone, former world number 12 as well, All-American at Tennessee. Michael Russell, perennial top 100 player, also went to a known uh, tennis powerhouse for a high school in Detroit Country Day. Oh, that's my high school. What a coincidence. Um, Yeah, there's also, you talk about Kathy May, who I'm fairly certain her family formed the company that eventually was bought out by Macy's. Like, there's that background element to Fritz is there is some... There are things there to unpack. His dad, obviously, a former pro as well. Sockery, it was funny. It was a one-off line. Like, my mom bought, brought tennis to Greece. It's like, wait. <laughs> like, what? I, and, like, I, I you're love not that. Gonna, we're not going to We're not gonna address that. We're just going to, like, move on. And so, like, it's funny because each of these players come from significant athletic backgrounds. And I do think we see a growing trend. And just to point to a few notable examples, obviously, Steph Curry, Donovan Mitchell and Patrick Mahomes, all successful athletes who come from families where one of the parents was a professional athlete. I always love Andrew Wiggins, whose dad was a pro athlete. His mom was an Olympic sprinter. It's like, yeah, he's a really good athlete. It turns out like that the genes help. Um, And Maria Sakari, Taylor Fritz, to some extent fall in that category as well. And I do wonder if that was a low-hanging fruit. I would have loved to hear more about it, but you're right. They did do, at the same time, a very good job of simplifying, look, these are the significant relationships, and that's why we're highlighting that. Also on the Fritz thing, I mean, there's not going to be that much to add to this, but one thing that we've done on this show is pointed out areas where, you know, where the the creators did not broach a topic that Mm. they could have. And in in this one, it's the family uh, situation for Fritz where he is married, divorced. He does have a kid. So in learning about Taylor Fritz, they did just kind of skip that over, take a pass. So we continue to see some of the subjects that might be a little touchy. Maybe the players wouldn't want to talk about it. Like, in the last episode, we talked about Tomjanovich dating Kyrgios. Yeah. Uh, and in this episode, it's, you know, Fritz's previous relationship and the fact that he is a father and that was smoothed over. I don't know if you want to weigh in on that. Well, two other things I would add to that because that was perfectly described. And it was interesting. They didn't do that much on the Taylor Morgan relationship, although I talk about another thing our commenters love to talk about is your fascination with how online dating and dating app relationships work they love it gil they're just like you gotta understand gil's been dating the same woman since what 1994 i want to say since you guys have been together something around that time roughly about four and a half years yeah exactly and so please you know it's out of his time um not that i'm an expert but compared to him i'm freaking da vinci over here um anyways they didn't do fritz's personal history they didn't talk about the perspective of tennis parents and what that's like, you know, they have dance moms, right. Is like a reality TV show. Well, tennis parents would very well qualify for their own reality TV show. Having been a tournament desk person in my life, some of the things parents say to you when you're at the desk, you're like, you understand I'm also a human being. Like you can't talk to me that way. Um, And to see the accusations they'll make of other kids when you're like, you understand he's a nine-year-old and can't see the lines, let alone know what he's doing from a score perspective. And like, There were enough quotes, whether it was Fritz saying, I've never seen my dad cry because he's so proud of me or talking about them, you know, butting heads a little bit when he was younger. You could explore 
the, the relationship between tennis parents and high-level succeeding tennis junior, even from the soccer perspective, when your parent is that successful, what sort of pressures does that put on you? They didn't touch that. They didn't really touch the American men's tennis thing. They mentioned not since Andre Agassi had an American won Indian Wells. And again, they asked Fritz the question. But yeah, they, they definitely stayed away from some things that I think tennis fans would have liked. Let me flip it on you. By not by not searching into those things, by not unpacking them, did you feel as though this episode lacked in quality? No, no, not at all. I, they I weren't think... missing? No, the Fritz, see, like the Fritz being a father, uh, I'm I'm very, very interested in that. So, and and I think I think everybody would be. It's it's an interesting part of Taylor um, that, you know, I would, I think that could have been very compelling. And I also think a lot of tennis fans don't even know about it. And I'm sure some will learn from this podcast. Um, so, yeah, that, you know, if, if we're going to get to know Taylor um, on, on that level, I think, uh, yeah, that would have been a huge opportunity. But what we did learn about Taylor was just how tough and stubborn he is um, and, and what, a, what an animal he is as a, as a competitor. We've had discussions a little bit worried about Fritz as a main character personality for a show like this. Sure. Was he going to carry an episode like this successfully? Are you asking me, did he? Yeah, like how did that play out? Were we? Well, he didn't have to carry it singularly because they had soccer to help carry the load as well. The thing okay, is, but his when, singular, when it was him. Well, his singular intensity provided excellent gravity for some of the other supporting actors like Anna Cone to try and, you know, again, calm that intensity for Russell to try and, again, introduce a dose of reality, Morgan to keep him centered. That intensity is captivating because that's what you want out of your best athletes. You want them to be singularly focused. And the most Taylor Fritz, well, there are a couple of Fritz quotes we'll get to later, but this isn't a best quote. This was just a funny one is when he goes, yeah, you know, you get to top 10, then he gets to top eight, then he gets to top five. Then he gets top three. Then he gets to number one when he's talking with Morgan. He's like, that's how, because they were talking about like the stress of his ranking. Like, remember when you were down to 25 and 42 and how obsessed you were with it. And now then he's like, look, my goal is to get to 10, then to eight, then to five, then to three. And it's like so simple to him. He sees it literally in those sorts of terms. That's what Fritz is singularly focused with. The omelet order, by the way, disgusting. Bacon, ham, and a little bit of cheese, like, Okay, show me you have a third grade palate. I'll show you that. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, again, his singular intensity, again, how determined he is to be the best in the world, to put himself in a position to prove that he is. And he talks about it beforehand. It was fascinating to see when he's asked who's the best American man in the world. And they're like, oh, you're going to make me look like a jackass. And then he's like, well, statistically, though, it is me. Like you could tell he didn't want to get asked about it. Because if he did, I mean, his answer is, I'm not saying you're betting on someone, but if you're going to bet on someone, bet on me. Like, you can tell he is singularly confident and singularly determined. Another exchange uh, that I really loved was between Tom Hill and Maria Sakari on the yeah. court uh, when when Sakari was was really struggling. Yes, so what am I going to of the, of the episode? Yeah, so let's just, you know, we don't need to always save that for the end. That's quote of the episode for me. Uh, here is the exchange. I did transcribe it in my notes. All right, so Hill goes, keep going to the middle. You've got this. Sakari goes, I went middle and she went on the line. Fuck me. And then Hill goes, <laughs> every ball through the middle of the court. Sakari says, you say one more word. I'm going to break the racket. 
Hill. I know that was I that was truthfully delightful because I've had I've been in both sides of the equation where I would be watching my little brother play and you're like kind of giving him a note and he just looks at you and he's like Alex shut the fuck up like I'm in no mood for this right now at the same time I've had my older brother and I like to think I'm a little more receptive because I like being engaged but like there's times when someone's talking to you or a coach is just pestering you and you're just like shut up like uh, you think I don't know that I'm the one playing the match like Steve Johnson former top 40 player in the world who notably has struggled with his backhand wing. I once asked him, how annoying is it when people ask you about the backhand? Because if we're talking about it, obviously you're aware of it. Like, what is that dynamic in your head? And he's like, yeah, no fucking shit. I know that my backhand needs work. Like, if you think I don't know that, that that's the game plan and that's what I need to execute, then like, what do you think I'm doing out here? That's what we saw Maria Sakari in live time. Just like one more fucking word, Tom, please. Like, I dare <laughs> you. Just like say something else and we'll see where we go from here. And we've all been in that position where you're just like, I understand. And I'm just helpless right now here on court. Now, I also think I still think there's another nominee for quote of the day. So I'll save that save second it. one for then. But that was a really good because it's just so telling of if you've ever it's that's a nugget not only for casual fans to enjoy, but if you played some tennis in your life, you're like, I've been there. You're like, Wait, that to, resonates. Tom Hill doubled down. Maria yeah. said, I will I will one more word, I will break this racket. Tom Hill says, I don't care. Go up the middle. Well, so so you can see You're right, but then later on, like the next quote is anything we say now is gonna piss her off more. And so yeah. it does come to you do come to a realization where it's like, you know what? Let's just let this one go. This is not the fight, Anakin. Like, let this fly. Yeah, but, I mean, in live time, you see Tom Hill. How how are we going to help our player? Is it to, is it to yeah. be tough, to keep driving home the message? Is it to shut up? Um, and with the Maria storyline, I feel like, you know, in the last episode, we had a conversation about um, – the every match kind of being framed as a mental thing. And with Berrettini Nadal, it kind of bothered me because you know what? It's not, it's not mental. All right. Like Matteo, Matteo did not lose that match because of his mind with Maria. I totally thought it worked. I totally didn't mind it because guess what? It is mental with Maria. It is. And we well, got to see the evidence of that with, how she was responding to adversity on the court and those interactions with Tom Hill. Can we just point out again, not to backtrack, but playing through the middle and she went line. Fuck me. <laughs> that was so good. Like, what a great line for Maria Sakari because you're just, I. we've all been there. I mean, we have played tennis against one another. You have at times hit a forehand where I knew you were going to, like, I'm like, He's sitting on the inside in. He's sitting on the inside end. Yep, he went inside in. Like, Alex, you knew it was coming. Like, come on, fuck me. And it's just like, <laughs> that's exactly what she did. We're going to have to put a censorship warning on this episode. <laughs> that was delightful. But you're absolutely right because, and shout out to this episode, the single best sequence we have had, a 45-minute stretch of any episode thus far here in Breakpoint, was the 45 seconds Courtney Nguyen who another solid performance. Maria Sakari is a gladiator. And then with raging EDM music in the background, they have Sakari just banging weights in the workroom. <laughs> and like, you're like, yep, she's a specimen. Like watching her squat was, you're just like, yeah, like, okay. 
yep, like I get it. This is what I expected. I see it manifested. I thought that was the best sequence. And that and that's why from the other side of the equation, it's like, well, then how can someone who's in the workout room doing that not be a superstar? And that gets into the mental part of the equation. And you see all of that unfold throughout the episode. Yeah, I mean, it was fascinating. Uh, They talked about her semifinal block. They're not going to like go all tennis abstract on us and give statistics like she lost 13 matches in a row in semifinals. Uh, But they said like she lost a crap ton of semifinals and it got in her head and they addressed that. And then, you know, in the beginning of the episode, it was so funny because she told her mother, I want to make the final. I want to get to the final. And I just kind of stored that away. I'm like, it's a little strange that she said, I want to get to the final and not that I want to win. And then what ends up happening after that final, she was like, I, I, I expended way too much energy in the semifinal and I just couldn't show up for this final. And I, I wasn't myself. I wasn't me. Uh, Maria battles herself at the end of these tournaments to try to get in the right mindset. And this was a, a really good showcase of that, right? Yeah, no, I mean, look, by the way, I don't know if you know this, but Maria Sakkari's mom brought Greece to tennis and one of her quotes <laughs> at the start of the show. No, 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 was, you got it wrong. She brought tennis to Greece. Oh, yeah, yeah, Greece to tennis. Sorry, tennis to Greece. Good call by you. Um, but Maria's mom goes, only her demons or an injury can keep her out from the tennis court because tennis players don't just lose to their opponents. They lose to themselves. And yep. it was very clear that she was discussing her daughter directly in that discussion. To hear Sakari dwell and speak so candidly about her eight semifinal losses throughout the course of last season, I think that was the number she talked about, or in 2021, um, to hear her talk about how she didn't sleep for four days after her loss in the French Open semifinals to Barbara Krejcikova, which for listeners who aren't, who aren't aware, she was two points away from winning that match. She loses in three sets. Krejcikova goes on to win the French Open you know, again, it's fat. Here's the fascinating part, and this is a tangent, but I'm, I want to hear your thoughts. This is the third out of four players we have heard use the R word, retire, after a loss. Kyrgios talks about retirement. Tom Janovich, after her loss, should I just retire? Sakari, after that French Open, legitimately saying I'm retiring for four days. And she it did. Just brings, yeah, and then she goes, all right, let's get back to work, which was another great sequence because her smile being like, yeah, I know, I'm an idiot. All right, let's get back to it. Um, but it just speaks to what these players feel like. And they talked all the time, the cliche, you know, 99% of players lose every week. Um but it is fascinating because you're like, if I can't be number one in the world, do I really want to go through all of this suffering to be number 26? Like, is that really worth it? And to us as casual fans, of course, we think like, duh, I'd rather be number 26 in the world than a podcast host. But think about your whole life. You've been number one in everything. You've been chasing this thing. And all of a sudden you come to this realization that many, maybe there is a ceiling for me and trying to fight through that mental battle. I, that's the dyna- that's clearly the dynamic they're trying to sell, right, Gil? Yeah, I mean, yeah. The, Fritz was framed at the beginning of the episode as there's one knock on him, or or, or Sakri was framed. The one knock on her, and Courtney said this is that she's never won a big title. Mm-hmm. Very simple, and yeah, that that is, and that's the kind of thing. If you're as talented as her, it doesn't matter how successful she is. It doesn't matter. She's been number two in the world that weighs on her that's real like so it's not 
it's not about what other successes she had. Like right now for her, it's I need to win a title. And she's going to feel like a failure until she does that. And that's just how it is for her. And, you know, for Taylor Fritz, I don't think that was, you know, as much an expectation for him that was that was weighing on him. But uh, it was the same framing. It's like, wow, uh, if I win Indian Wells, like that will be my first big title. That will be my first big success. So, look, I, I don't know that with every player it's that same kind of thing, but one thing I think they do try to get across is losing sucks. These players care a lot and every ounce of the responsibility falls directly on their shoulders. This is not like losing in a team sport. This is not like that because you can get a, have a, a double double and shoot 50% from the field and you kind of feel all right about yourself and your team lost. And yeah, you want to win and you might feel kind of shitty about your, that your team lost, but you know what? You did your thing. Or if you had a bad game, well, you're still getting paid the same. You're going to go at it the next day. You're going to have a chance to redeem yourself. Tennis is just, it's just harder. It just is. Losing sucks the most in this sport. And, and that is something that they've gotten across. And I, I think with the Maria thing, the adulation that we saw firsthand because of the cameras backstage when she won the semifinal versus the despair when she lost the final uh, was the, the most important part of the soccer arc in this episode. Yeah. I mean, most important. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, it was fascinating to hear soccer describe Tom Hill as her best friend and to see how clear, you know, it was really funny. This was a, one of those low key moments, but after Sakari's first run win, they talk, you know, that's the hotel room scene with the, this is my six espresso. And, you know, you can see, and we've all been here. If you've played tennis and you've ever won a match, and then you're trying to talk about it afterwards, the smile on Sakari's face where she's like, all right, are we, can we talk about this win that I just picked up? Like, are you guys going to praise me yet? It's time. Like, come on. And like, to see the smile there and, you know, again, to see the candidness between her and Tom Hill and how open those lines of communication are and how essential that is clearly to Sakari's success on court. Yeah, you're, you're again, though, I would agree with you. That was probably the most consequential part of this Sakari arc. How much she cares. I mean, yeah. how did Sakari – and let's go, let's go Maria, then let's go Taylor, and then we can wrap it up. I mean – if uh, if you're being introduced to Maria Sakari, or even even as somebody who who knows her, but maybe not in such an intimate sense, what were your takeaways of like, how do you think viewers are going to react to Maria and feel about Maria after watching that? I think they'll tell how much she cares. You're absolutely right. Like again, the tears post semifinal victory to talk about to hear her talk about how she was so drained mentally following that semifinal match that it clearly impacted her in the final and. You know, again, it was very clear. What was it? Anacone early in the in the talking about the three components, the physical talent, the heart and the head. You know, can you process? Can you play every point like your life depends on it? I love the clips they showed of Rublev Fritz in that moment. But clearly that applied to Sakari as well. And I think that's ultimately why they paired these two players together. And that was my takeaway. And yes, there's some knowledge about each of them from what our jobs are that clouds my perspective watching this episode you know I can't watch it independently but these are two players who are extraordinarily determined to become the best version of themselves whatever that's 
best version is. They will be singularly committed to becoming whatever it is they have to do to become the best tennis players that they can be to the point where they feel as though they have fulfilled their potential as tennis players. Now, each of those players being who they are, think that that potential means world number one and slam titles. And each of them have showed flashes that maybe just maybe they can get to that level. But that's my biggest takeaway from watching Sakari is how driven she is to be the best in the world. And again, Anakon talked about putting pressure on yourself, how much pressure Sakari puts on herself to be in the best shape, to be in that position in the final rounds of an event to become the best version of herself. That would be my takeaway is how much she cares for sure. Yeah. Driven, but tortured. Yeah. And I, I think people like a character that struggles. Yeah. I mean, we, we, there would not be TV shows or movies without struggle. Like when you go to school and you learn how to write a, a screenplay, which I, I I've I not, didn't do. So yeah, yeah right. I, I didn't, I didn't go to school for it, but I, I have, I have learned a little bit about telling a sure. story and how that works struggle that's what that's what a story is struggle yeah. and then there's an arc that has to do with that so this was the first time i know isla lost first round it was difficult for her you know nick lost in the singles won the doubles and then you know uh baratini lost to nadal this was the first time where the struggle i thought felt pretty uh impactful like significantly impactful where uh, here's a here's someone who I might want to get behind in the future as a fan of tennis uh, because it's someone who deserves to break through in a lot of ways and and is really having a lot of trouble doing so. I would end it on 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 this kind of my last point. What I really appreciated about this episode and the reason why it would be another one that I would be excited to show to to casuals is um, tennis has a reputation of being a country club sport. And this is a good one that shows like this is this is kind of war. This is not um, this is not that country club sport. Taylor Fritz, what what he fought through and and got through from a pain threshold thing, from a toughness perspective, was massive. Uh, Maria, from you know more of a more of a mental standpoint, but here's someone who has built an elite elite athletic um physicality um through hard work and you know the the emotional toughness of what of what this sport is as a as a one-on-one -on -one battle i just thought this was a good display of tennis as a non-country club sport yeah i mean again you look into the backgrounds and people would say you're going to call these two non-country club sport players but yeah, I agree with you. It talks oh, about the grittiness, the intensity, good, good, the good. toughness. Can I can I respond to, to that? Please. Don't it that shouldn't be misinterpreted as uh, a financial thing because okay. uh, it there's still a, a huge, huge advantage to being financially privileged to, your point, to make it in tennis. To your point, absolutely. She talks about the physical intensity, the struggles. Again, the combination yeah. of the Sakari combine video where she's banging weights and then Fritz, you see again, a doctor says I shouldn't give you pain medications. He says, I'm playing this match, and he goes on to do exactly that. I agree. That's what made this episode so compelling is you got to see a look at what it's like to progress through a tournament, the struggles you go through internally, the physical capacity it takes to play five to seven matches consecutively. Again, each episode has gotten better. This is the best of the series thus far. All right. Uh, what is your quote of the episode? 
Well, you've asked me to narrow them down, so I'm glad we got through all the soccery ones because that way I can narrow it down to just two. Um, both via Taylor Fritz, both enjoyable. Runner-up, when describing his match against Rafa, and this is, again, the ultimate dose of reality, he goes, look, it's just another day for him. It's the biggest match of my life. And you're just like, that's how every person facing Rafa or Federer or Djokovic or Serena at any slam over the course of the past decade and a half has felt, which is just a perfect framework of that. But the best is when he's talking about his injury and he's getting through that first point and he plays the diving point and he does whatever and he just goes, holy shit. I can play. And you're just like, I know that reality of when you're like, my body does not feel good on this day. And then you do something and they're like, you know what? I actually think I'm fine. And I think that's your quote of the match because it captures the sentiment of like, you know what? Let's roll the balls out. Let's do this thing. And he goes on to win the title. And it's no wonder that he didn't feel any nerves in that match and played his best tennis because you're not going to, you're just going to feel if you're in Fritz's position, an appreciation to be out there and be able to play. Like you're not going to get tight. The injury was the best thing that could have happened to him heading into Agreed. the final. That's what Agreed. you're telling. Yeah, it's Absolutely. not a bad take. Yeah. Like psychologically. And now we're, we're seeing it with, with, we won't get into it, but Novak at the Australian Open. That's the only positive to being injured is, you know, you start to kind of lose some expectation on your own shoulders and it, it can help you. So Yeah, absolutely. All right, I'm going to go first on who won the episode. Because I've been killing you in this category, but carry on. Paul Anacone is the master Yoda of tennis. Yeah. And it was fantastic. Like, they gave him a full-out intro segment, and literally, like, everything he said in the episode was absolute poetry. Not only, like, in the interview setting, where he got to, like, think and pick his words, but even, like, the things he said directly to Taylor— it was just gripping. Paul Anacone, the professor, the wise man of this episode, was the winner. It's a good pick. He was certainly on my short list. Our dear friend Andrew Krasny, who is the voice of Indian Wells introducing all the players onto court. Like, who's the guy who does WWE? Let's get ready to rumble. Like, you hear Krasny. Does not voice. do WWE. That is Michael Buffer. He does boxing. Okay. Good well, try, thank though. Thank you. Yeah, that's what I meant. B- boxing. Um, he like Krasny's voice plays on that level. And you're like, that is awesome. Uh, but the real winner has to be Maria Sakari's mom, because again, we get two things from her. You brought, <laughs> you brought tennis to Greece. And like, then the most profound quote where it's like, you not only play your opponents. I don't know why I'm giving her an accent. Um, she, you not only play your opponents, you play yourself where you're like, Oh, that's a good point. And it's like, sets the tone for the rest of the episode. And that's why she's my winner. I'm going Mrs. Sakari. Dude, I can't believe you gave an honorable mention of who won the episode to someone who wasn't in the episode. I mean, <laughs> it's unbelievable what you have the ability to do. Like, you are you are actually incredible. I know. I, look, I love, yeah. no, no, much love to Andrew. That's not yeah. what this is about. Okay, this Andrew. Is what his voice was in it. I know, but, like, I would never have thought well, consider- I'm just saying, like, all right, if it was your voice or my voice I'm seeing and you heard it, wouldn't you be like, 
That's... I'd be like, oh, that's cool. That's cool. I'm yeah, gonna, I guess. Right? I know. It's, it's just it's a good voice from Krasny. Be like, you know what? When they call him onto this court, it feels like a big. I'm just saying Krasny's voice played well. Yeah, he's got an incredible pair of pipes. He, he okay? has maybe if you're making top five voices in sports, he's in the conversation. I just didn't think he would make the podcast. All right. Yeah. I just didn't think he would. So stuff, cut the clip. I'll send this to him. This, this will be the only time he watches. He'll be like, oh, I mean, for. For those who are lost, Andrew Krasny is the court MC at Indian Wells, all right? Now at a career uh, high, number six in the world, Maria Sakari. There is no better way to end this than with uh, a discussion of, of Andrew Krasny. Uh, but, but this was fun, a uh, really intriguing one. Episode four is next as we roll on on The Breakpoint Show, a recap show for Gil Gross, Alex Gruskin. Thanks for watching. See you next time.